Today, we've got the Amazon world's foremost expert on patents, and he's back to talk about all you wanted to know about patents, trademarks, and he even has a lot of cool travel hacks for us. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon world. And we've got back here on the show for the first time since, hmm, I want to say maybe early uh, 2020, late 2019, we've got Rich Goldstein in the house. Rich, how's it going? It's going great, Bradley. Yeah, and uh, I remember it well, coming to the to the Helium 10 offices to shoot the last podcast. Yeah, you were one of the few was- to actually record in office there, and obviously that is no longer. You know, I record everything from my, uh, I, I recreate that that studio here at my house, and so everything is, uh, everything is here. And I don't think anybody's coming to my house to record the podcast, so it's all mobile now. You still in Jersey? Awesome. So oh. I am. I am. I'm in Jersey. And so then I guess I remain among the few like like we've if you've retired Indeed. that studio that I'm I, I will be among yep. the few that yep. ever that studio is records. now uh, retired. Uh, we still have it. You use it for other things, but not not podcasting. Now, now you, you're flying out here. First thing I want to talk about, you're flying out here uh, uh, for the Prosper show. You, you like me are, are, are um, kind of a, probably a little bit higher level than me, uh, somewhat of a travel hacker with your frequent flyer miles and things. Now, for United, are you that premier 1K thing? I am. I am indeed a, a premier 1K. So on how in the world does one get uh, get there? Like, like, do you just travel that much that you just qualified, or did you do one of those status match uh, things or what? No, just lots of traveling. When you get on a four, five, six-hour flight or international 10-hour flights, and you're in coach, especially a tall guy like me, you know, six foot three, I mean, I'm just in a bad mood. Uh, I'm not going to get whatever I wanted to done in, in a great way when I'm flying uh, economy. But at the same time, we also shouldn't live, you know, beyond our means. And so that's where this whole, you know, travel hacking, you know, comes in and and how do you stack points and and how do you upgrade and things like that. So so I know you've gotten that 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 high status there. My highest status is, is actually in, in in Hilton. That's how I'm always able to stay in the Maldives at the twenty five hundred dollar a night room for free. Because of my Hilton status, what other what other like travel hacking or or statuses do you do to kind of like make traveling better for you? First of all, the um, TSA pre and clear is awesome. It means like at most airports, um, not only is the line shorter for TSA pre, um, but you just sail right through. Usually, there is absolutely no line for clear. There may be a line for, yeah, for yeah. TSA pre, maybe there's 50 people in front of you where there was, um, you know, there'd be 500 people in front of you if yep. you didn't have TSA pre. But clear, I, I don't think I've ever gone to an airport when there was a line. It's like you find where the clear is and as fast as you can walk to that up to the counter is as fast as you could actually get it done and and um, and get onto um, uh, into the security um, lane to to get um, processed. Yeah. Let me give some of mine. Uh, one of them I've talked about before, actually I learned it from Tim Jordan is the founder's card. That's a really cool card to get you like some elite statuses, like easier, you know, on certain airlines and hotels and and then certain discounts and, and like Caesar's palace in Vegas, you know, you always get 
always get upgrades and free upgrades and founders card it's kind of expensive for a year but it easily can can pay for itself another thing i highly suggest for uh u.s citizens is to stack these things try and get the uh the global uh global entry uh which uh the tsa and the clear and me i am i am terrible guys like i'm terrible at cutting it close to get on on flights and things like that i'm always like last second you know and there's like no way i I would make these flights but i've got the clear plus the tsa which i got through the global entry program and basically what that means is especially if i don't have a check-in luggage i just get to the airport i I just scan my eyeball uh on the on this thing and and a and a clear representative walks me right through i don't even have to take out my my id he walks me right through security and i go to the front of the line like literally saving 30 minutes plus especially in some of these busy airports so stacking clear with the tsa and then i don't have to take off my shoes i don't have to take off my my uh jacket i don't have to i don't have to take out the laptops out of my my bag and then when you're coming into the country that's where global entry comes in like i go back and forth from mexico all the time i just go right through you know the uh the customs you don't even have to use i don't even have to show my passport by the way, just just a, a final point is like, you know, like you, you look ahead toward that mm-hmm. status and you say like, well, someday I'll get to be that, whatever it is. Like even in like it could be related to um, frequent flyers and airlines. It could be related to something else. And then you discover that there's always something above that, that just when you think you've arrived, you yeah. haven't. So in the case of, of what we're talking about here, so I'm a 1K on United, which is the highest published status that they have. But there's always the unpublished status, um, which is um, global services. Mm. So they've got something called global services. I'm sure like when you've got when you've boarded, they've said like, you know, like first one on the plane, global services. Like, well, what's that? That's the status that they give to people um, kind of by a phone call. You just get a phone call wow. one day and say, hey, you're in. And usually it's the people that say travel to Asia 10 times a year um, in, you know, in business mm-hmm. class that, you know, they're spending like 50,000 a year on wow. airfare that get invited to being global services. And those guys get like the most, um, special treatment. I've heard like they, you know, they'll even hold a plane for you oh at times goodness. when you're running late on a connection. Um, I've heard, um, at certain airports, I don't think they do this anymore, but at a certain point they had like, um, you get driven across the tarmac to your connection, by Mercedes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. There's always, you know, just when you think you've reached the Zenith, there's always a, there's always another, another level. level. Um, right. Anyway. So exactly. we, we've been talking about travel hacks and strategies, which, you know, I think is very relevant to, to e-commerce entrepreneurs out there, but, but let's go back to something else. You know, you, you don't sell on Amazon yourself, but now in the past, you know, year and a half, you've probably, dealt with hundreds if not thousands more amazon sellers with what you do and, and your expertise and and mainly that's um you know looking you know patents you know as a patent attorney you obviously you know people can say oh yeah i'm gonna look up patents but very few can actually say they're they're an actual attorney in this and so you definitely know your stuff so i mean you had experience with amazon sellers when i first met you but but uh, i'm sure it's just exponentially increased lately so i'm just curious can you give some anecdotes uh some things that have you have dealt with with sellers on the positive side and the negative side in the last year and a half. Um, you know, like where where it's like, hey, we didn't have a patent and we were, we got one. And we were able to kick all these people out, or 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 the opposite side, like, hey, I start. You heard of a Amazon seller who started their product and they didn't realize 
it was patented and they lost thousands of dollars. But but can you just give us some like real life uh, situations here uh, that our listeners can learn from? Yeah, like first of all, all of the above, all of that happens. And uh, so yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I was in a situation with um, with a client who was about to sell their business for several million dollars and like um, they were going to to um, clear escrow the following day and kind of get their money um, like you know all of the like everything had been accounted for you know all the inventory and such all the numbers were reconciled they were basically ready to close and their account got shut down from a IP complaint oh. uh, due to a, due to patent infringement. Um, and it got really, really weird because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, let's see how much detail I could go into here, but, but essentially they were in a situation where they thought they, they had a white labeled product like that, that they had a product that, um, you know, they kind of originated, but it was more or less white labeled. They had never gone for a patent on mm-hmm. it. Um. And uh, the manufacturer had assured them that, um, you know, that, that they were the first to create it, that they basically created it for them from their sketches, from their drawings. Um, but then that manufacturer went on to sell it to other people. Uh, and then essentially, at a certain point, one of those customers has asked, oh, could we get the patent for this? And the manufacturer cooperated in helping them get the patent. Mm. Um, so essentially if that didn't get too confusing with the, the, um, the fact pattern there. So essentially a third party ended up with the patent on their product. Um, you know, they had never been concerned about getting a patent on it. Um, but, um, through some confusion of the manufacturer, a third party ended up with the patent and they were on the, um, the cusp of, of closing the sale of their business when they discovered, uh, through an IP complaint that someone else had the patent. And so, I mean, if you could put yourself in their shoes and imagine about to collect millions and then you get this IP complaint. Uh, I mean, simply like devastating. It took some work to undo, um, you know, and ultimately I think part of the, the situation was remedied that the, um, the person that made the complaint um, like realized that it was just, that it was kind of a dirty underhanded thing mm-hmm. to do. And, they they backed off like they had a like they had some uh, uh, basically their, their conscience got to them and they said they they this is not the way they wanted to behave. But um, if not for that, that wholesale could have just fallen through. Now, now what you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but maybe a year or six months before this all went down, what should they have done? And how, about how much would it have cost them to do it? Yeah, what they what they should have done is is um, is filed a, a patent for the design that they created because it really was it was just a design patent, which is just for the way in which the product looks, for the ornamental appearance of the product. So if they had a, if they had actually gone ahead and obtained the patent, then essentially that would have prevented this other person from obtaining a patent. Here's the thing. Here's a big lesson I think on Amazon is that Amazon tends to defer toward the IP owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why it pays to be the IP owner. It pays to be the one holding the patent. Um, and 
So even at times when you think like, well, I don't know that I really care. Like if other people come along and they just they start selling similar mm. products, I don't care. I'm just going to make it. I'm going to make money with my listing. I'm going to do. I'm not concerned about them. That's fine. But sometimes even as a defensive posture, you need to be the one holding the yeah. patent. Okay. So that was a negative. Yeah, that that I mean, it was actually you know somewhat of a positive, I guess, because because the it's very rare that uh, people who do this kind of thing have a crisis of conscience uh, there. So that was kind of a, a positive in itself. But but they dodged a bullet there. So so that's the the negative side of like, hey, yeah, you know, everybody wants to save a buck here or there, and yeah, hey guys, we're gonna keep it real. Getting patents and going through the process is, is not like going to legal Zoom or or getting a a $300 German trademark or, or something cheap, it, it costs a few thousand dollars. But, you know, they could have potentially lost, you know, sounds like millions of dollars if uh, in this. So you, we could see how it's definitely worth it. But what's on the flip side? Like maybe a positive thing, like somebody did do the right thing when they should have. And because of that, they were able to protect their, their product or they were able to kick off a hijacker or something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, and I have a, I have a friend who, um, you know, applied for a patent at the time uh, that they were launching the product, which, by the way, that's when you want to apply for it is before you launch. Um, under certain circumstances, you can still apply after you launch, after you make it public. Um, but if a year goes by s- since you made it public, then you've lost the rights forever. And too many people wait too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't they don't happen to know about that rule with regard to absolutely losing the rights if if a year has gone by. Um, but you know, they wait a year and a half and then they come to me and I have to tell them, I'd love to help you, but I really, I can't, I can't, um, we can't get a patent anymore. And they'll usually say, well, how would I have known that? How would I have known that if I make the product public, I lose the rights to the invention. And the answer is, I guess you, you wouldn't. And that's why I make a point of, of, of getting that, that point across. And so I took a little diversion from the, the story here to, to say that piece. Essentially, when he, um, um, he applied for the patent, he launched the product, he noticed over the next six months that people loved the product, including people that love to copy it. And so he, um, uh, he noticed that other people started to make identical products, uh, products that looked exactly like his, selling it on Amazon. The design patent issued in other words, it was granted, it became a patent. And then as he puts it, um, on one glorious day, he shut down 40 other sellers wow. um, with his design patent. Okay. Now, you know, we, we did talk about the reality of the situation that it's expensive. And you know what? To be honest, there are some situations where maybe it's not suggested. Like, hey, you're a brand new seller. You barely have got $5,000 to invest in your first product. You're not exactly able to, to go invest a few thousand dollars. And at what point, does an Amazon or or any e-commerce seller for that matter, uh, at what point should one take a hard look and say, you know what, I need to look into getting this done? Okay, well, I, I would say um, a couple things on that. I mean, first of all, you want to ju- be judicious when you spend money on IP. There's often a lot of things that you can spend money on with regard to IP that don't necessarily give you bang for your buck. Um, like, there are a lot, you could spend you know, tens of thousands of dollars on patents uh, and end up with something that's really pretty useless, mm-hmm. like a, a patent that really doesn't 
that's rather narrow and limited and doesn't give you much ability to, to prevent competition. Um, so you want to be careful about what you spend your money on. And, um, and also, a lot of products just aren't that different. Like if you're white labeling a product, there's probably nothing to patent. Mm-hmm. What you really want to do is be on the lookout for those products that really have potential. And uh, it's not just, you know, selling another um, gift idea product or selling another one of 10 of something that's out there already. But you see something that's worthwhile. Um, then it might pay to dig deep to get that patent, to apply for yeah. the patent. Um, I'd also say, you know, you mentioned like a 5000 like investing $5,000 into launching a product. Um yeah, I mean, it, it, it might not pay to spend about the same amount of money to get a design patent. But if you're spending 100K, you know, if you've, if you've spent, um, you know, um, 50K for your first order and plus you've got other expenses in the marketing, I mean, you, you probably want to spend a fair proportion of that to protect your investment. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so if you're spending 100K, it might it might make sense to spend 10K. If you're spending 50K, it might make sense to spend 5K on a design mm-hmm. patent. One way to look at it, first of all, is, is to look at what you're investing. But you can also look at the upside. Like if you're investing 5K, but you know that this is going to be a like a, a 10K a month product. You've just seen it from experience. Maybe it just doesn't cost that much to launch this product. But you know that it's going to be a 10K a a month product or 120K a year, then you might want to look toward that as well. Uh, And then even though it might be inexpensive to launch it, um, if if you know what what you're trying to do is prevent other people from jumping in there on that listing, then, um, you know, like kind of um, recouping two weeks worth of sales then gets you 5K back. And I've seen that many times before where like... um, it's like you spend you spend um, let's say five k total on a, on a design patent. You um, it, it turns out to be a you know a hundred thousand dollar a month product, and um, and and then you notice like other people selling similar products, um, and they might imagine they cut into your market share by 20 percent. So now all of a sudden you're losing ten to twenty thousand dollars a month. Um, you know, if you could slow down those competitors by even a few weeks, you recoup your yeah. investment. Okay. So yeah, everything in proportion. Um, so I guess that's, that's really my overall answer to your question about like when, and like when it pays. And especially with that scenario of like, if, if it's only, if, if you've only got 5k, um, you probably don't want to spend it on a patent because then you, you're left with, with no other resources to launch. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Here's the thing. My favorite definition of sustainability is is that you are participating in a way that leaves you more able to participate. That means you're not depleting all your resources on one product. And a lot of people will tell you this too, regardless of what you're doing in business, is don't use all your resources on one project or one product or one business. Because that business, that product, um, that project isn't necessarily going to hit it. Mm-hmm. It might just be the project that gives you the experience to hit it with the second or the third one. But in order to be able to do the second or third one, you have to not deplete yourself on that yep. first one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, quick break from this episode for my BTS Bradley's 30 seconds. Here's my 30 second tip 
we've been talking about travel hacks in this episode. And here's another one. You know, Rich was talking about how he likes always flying first class and business class. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is sometimes it, it might be too expensive. You know, I was looking at this one international flight, one way, uh, only uh, it was actually on Turkish Airlines. And for business class, it was $5,000. Now, you know, I don't care how rich I could be one day. Uh, I'm never going to be the kind of person who's like, I'm going to pay, I'm going to afford $5,000 for a one-way international flight. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm just paying the $600 for economy. But what I did was uh, I was, you know, doing some research and I started trying this and it's worked about 50% of the time. When I go to the airport, you know, to, to, to get my uh, boarding pass, I just ask them, I was like, Hey, do you, do you have any upgrades available for business class? And they gave it to me for 900 bucks. All right. So, so that was a uh, 1400 or $1,500. I was out for that flight. Whereas if I would have bought it, it would have is five thousand dollars. So just ask. It, it, it can't it can't hurt, especially on international flights. Uh, check in early and then ask them at the counter. Do they have any availability for upgrade? And you can usually get it for a steal. I hear people asking uh, about this more and more when they're doing their their product research and and you know maybe they come up with like 15 20 potential products that seem to have opportunity and they they use whatever they you know uh you know whether it's helium 10 tools or or whatever they're doing to to try and narrow that down a little bit more and then when it gets down to like 5 or 6 you know a common word of advice people say hey just you know make sure there first there's no patent on it now you know it might not be feasible i would imagine to always you know use a a professional like yourself for every single you know i've got 11 ideas let me ha- let me pay you guys to, to look up uh, all 11 of these, but is there a layman's way to at least start the process of searching if there's existing patents? You know, like when we talk about trademarks, you know, we don't need an attorney for that. We can just go, hey, let me just check USPTO database and I'm going to see if there's a, this word mark exists. Is there something like that for patents that somebody could do on their own? Uh, yeah, well, the, uh, first of all, at the USPTO.gov, you could also look up patents. Oh. Uh, but but a friendlier search engine is the Google Patents search engine, mm-hmm. so that's at patents p a t e n t s dot google dot com. Okay. So um, and that's it works like any other Google search. You just type in a query and it and it pulls up some patents. Um, it's far from comprehensive mm-hmm. though. It's not the best way to find the closest thing. Uh, you know, you type in can opener, it will pull up some can openers for it, but it's not necessarily going to pull up the can opener. That's just like what you have in mind. Um, but it is a good way to get started. So that's a way that you can do some checking on your own. All right. Now, uh, the last time, you know, I even forgot what the the definitions are, but I know we talked about this was, was the difference between design patent and utility patent. So if you just briefly review again, the difference, and then for Amazon sellers, what do the major? What are the majority doing uh, as far as one or the other? Okay, great. Um, so first of all, uh, um, a design patent is just about the appearance of a product. It's about the shape. So think of like a like a telephone that's shaped like a duck, right? Um, the, the design patent is for that that unique um, um, design, that unique appearance. Like there's nothing about the duck that changes the the duck shape that changes the functionality. Uh, so it's not about the way that that the, this phone functions. It's about this unique shape. That's what a design patent is for. Okay. A utility patent is for the structural differences, the functional differences, the things that make it work better than than previous inventions. That's what a utility patent is for. Um, so you think about someone inventing something in their garage. They're trying to f- find a better way to dispense soap at your kitchen, kitchen sim- sink, they, and they come up with a unique structure. 
That's what a utility patent would be for. So now a design patent is much less expensive than a utility patent. Uh, a few thousand dollars for a design patent, utility patent definitely north of 10K. Um, and so it costs a lot more to get a utility patent than a design patent. Uh, a couple other important differences here, and then I'll get to the Amazon and tell you how it works okay. there. So um, design patent, again, is all about the appearance. So it's all about the way that the product looks. The way that you infringe a design patent is by having a substantially similar appearing product. So your product appears substantially similar. That's how you infringe. So it's visual. When it comes to utility patent, the way that an invention is defined for the purpose of infringement is with something called patent claims. Patent claims is, uh, is uh, are a series of sentences at the end of the patent that lay forth kind of in words all of the items that need to be present for you to infringe the patent. So, for example, it could be for a table, having um, a platform, having a, a bottom surface, uh, having and having corners, and having four legs extending downwardly from the corners of the bottom surface. So that type of definition is how you compare whether you're infringing that patent. Um, so you infringe it through words. Um, and... Often, uh, traditionally, through my career, I've been doing this for 27 years, people look at utility patents as being more valuable because, well, it covers a concept. You know, with a design patent, you change the way it looks and you get around the patent. That's been the conventional thinking. But now enter Amazon. Different scenario for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, number one, when it comes to a design patent, it's just about the appearance. Uh, and infringement happens just through the appearance. So if, if someone has a similar product to yours, it looks just like yours, you have a design patent, you make an IP complaint through your seller account, and um, Amazon gets your IP complaint. They look at the product, they look at the, the pictures, right? They look at the drawings in your patent. They say, oh, well, you know, it looks the same. And they shut down the competitor. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to a utility patent, um, you know, they would have to review some type of definition in words of a platform having corners with legs extending downwardly from the corners of the platform. And, and believe me, it gets a lot more complicated than that. And so Amazon just basically throws up their hands and they say, well, we don't know what to do with this. Um, so it's easy to have something shut down with a design patent. With a utility patent, not so easy. And actually, Amazon now has a process that involves third-party patent attorneys um, where you have to go through this whole process to get someone shut down because of a utility patent. Hmm. So the, conventionally, you say utility patents are, are really valuable, design patents are not. Um, and Amazon, it's kind of the other way around. Now, in the real world, as far as from a legal standpoint, What's the basis on if something is considered like, you know, I don't know if the words infringing uh, or going against a patent, like, does it have to be X percent different than what was patented or, or how, how does that even work? Yeah, the, the, the great question. The way the way that it works is through those patent claims. And so, like, again, there's that definition of what um, needs to be present to be infringing. Like if, if the definition is um, a table having a platform having a top surface and a, a bottom surface uh, with four corners, legs extending downwardly from the platform, then you look to see if the infringing product meets each and every one of those 
elements, what we call claim limitations. So it is a platform. It has a bottom surface. It has corners. And it has four legs extending downwardly. If it doesn't have all of that, it's not infringing. Hmm. So in order to infringe, it has to have everything present um, in in at least one of those claims. Uh, they're called independent claims. I don't want to get too complicated on it. But essentially, that's it. It needs to have everything present in that claim to infringe. Um, and, you know, and, and by the way, there's just a little lesson here of, of what could be helpful to you as a, as a person seeking a patent. Mm-hmm. When, we're, when we're writing a patent, when we're producing a patent application, we want to have that definition be as simple as possible. Like the, you know, the platform, four corners, four legs, that's it. Because then it's really hard for people to get around that definition. Yeah. And we can make a definition that's as big as that or as broad as that if there isn't anything like it. You know, once there are things like it, oh, there are the tables with a platform with four legs and four corners. Then all of a sudden now we're having to add things about some wheels or about like a drawer or about some other elements to it in order to get the patent through. But now once we get that patent through with all those added pieces, mm-hmm. they the, the competitor needs to have all of those things to infringe. So now your patent is more limited. It's more narrow. And that's the important thing to know is like, if you're going to go for a utility patent, you want to know not just that you can get a patent. That's just the beginning. You want to know that you can get a patent that's broad, that covers a lot, because you are able to create a very simple, um, very simple definition of the product that then if a competitor looks at it, they say, I can't get around this. I can't, I can't do anything different. This is too simple. This is, this is too simple of a definition. There's, there's no piece that I could eliminate to avoid infringing this patent. So why even bother? Mm-hmm. Why even bother trying to copy it? Mm-hmm. And then, then you know you've got a valuable patent. From the time that somebody starts this process, like they, they, they hire you to, to start the process of getting a design patent, to actually have the patent published, how many months are we talking? It's typically about a year. Um, I, I think it, um, a year to a year and a half, most okay. typically. At what point can you say patent pending then? At the point at which you actually apply for the patent. So once the application is prepared and filed, which usually within a couple of months that, that can be taken care of. Uh, once it's prepared and filed, then it's patent pending. Then you could market patent pending. Um, you know, put it on your listing that it's a patent pending product, et cetera. Okay. Something we didn't talk about last time and I know nothing about, I'm not even sure if you know about it or I'm, I'm guessing you, you know, a lot of things, but, uh, Chinese patents, like, is this something that you see more people doing? Are these enforceable in China? Are they useless? Do you suggest people get a patent both in the United States and in China? Of course, you know, if, if the product is made, uh, is made in China, what, what, what do you know uh, about Chinese patents? Yeah. Okay. So a, a few things. I mean, for, first of all, um, the, the biggest reason to get a Chinese patent is if you want to sell your product in China. Um, so if you're worried about it being manufactured there, yeah. um, but you're really only concerned about the U.S. market for selling the product, then you probably don't need a Chinese patent. Um, and, and that's true around the world. It's like patents are territorial. Um, typically, they prevent someone else from making, using, or selling the product. So like a U.S. patent is, is great if you want to prevent someone from making, using, or selling the product in the U.S. If you're worried about them making it in China and bringing it here, again, um, selling the product in the U.S. is still an infringement. So, so generally, 
if the U.S. is the only market you're really concerned with, then a U.S. patent is all you you probably need. Okay. Uh, if there are all the foreign markets that you want protection in, then you typically would um, you you'd want to file patents there. And usually, the way that it goes is that you file the patent in one place, let's say in the U.S., um, and then um, within six months, you would then file in foreign countries where you want protection. And that's the case for design patents. You can you could file, let's say, then in China six months later and still get priority from your U.S. application. So if someone filed, let's say, in China um, after you filed your U.S. application, but before you filed in China, you would still be ahead of them because of priority from your U.S. Mm. Uh, and by the way, for utility patents, the rule is one year. Within one year, then you file foreign patent applications. Okay. Um, the one thing, though, I'd want to say, though, since we're, if, if we're going to talk about filing patents sure. in China and and maybe you don't really need a patent unless uh, you um, you don't really need a patent unless you want to sell the product there. Not necessarily the case for trademarks. There are a lot of bad actors out there that what they've been doing is is getting getting your trademark in China and then preventing you from exporting the product. Hmm. Uh, I think I've so, heard about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, and, and and to be honest, I've heard about it too. Um, I'm not involved in litigation, so I've never been directly involved in it. But uh, I have many people who've told me that this has happened, and that uh, I know one in particular that we both know who said it's happened to to him. Mm. Um, but the point is, if you are manufacturing in China, it might pay to get a Chinese trademark, um, and you might consider getting the trademark both in English. And also translated into Chinese. There are actually two different trademarks, um, and uh, uh, the, translated into Chinese is helpful, especially if your boxes are marked in or your cartons are marked in Chinese. Um, that could be the reason that someone prevents you from exporting your own product from China because they get your your trademark for the your trademark translated into Chinese, and they're able to stop you from exporting your product. Okay, yeah, that's that. Obviously, would be. Uh, somewhat of an inconvenience, I think, if that happened. Oh yeah. Switching gears, uh, something uh, you you know I, I've heard you speak about before, but it's not something that you know somebody naturally, you know, thinks about when they think about patents. But how studying patents uh, can actually be a form of Amazon product research. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. So um, here's the thing: um, patents expire, um, and when they expire, they're fair game. Um, in other words, once the patent expires, it becomes part of what's called the public domain, meaning anyone can then make that product. Um, so um, I think what you're what you're what you're hinting at here is that you can do product research, looking at expired patents and finding patents which are maybe they never really hit the light of day. There's a lot of patents out there, a lot of things that people patent. That were good ideas that don't necessarily make it to the market. And if you find something from, um, let's say, 20, 25 years ago in, in an expired patent, then um, you now um, kind of have a great idea of something that you can produce. And that, um, again, that patent then is no barrier to you producing it. The, the other interesting thing about that is when, whenever someone applies for a patent, they need to provide what's called an enabling disclosure. So an enabling disclosure means that you need to provide enough information to enable someone in the field 
to actually produce the product without too much experimentation. So there's no dimensions um, and there might not be every screw or piece of hardware described in the patent, but essentially there is enough, there needs to be enough information for someone to build it, which means that if you find a patent for a cool idea um, that's expired and now fair game, not only are you free to make it, but you've got a lot of info on how to do so. Okay, cool. Now, we, we usually close the show with, with various uh, TST 30-second uh, tips, so let, let's go ahead and do that. Like, uh, what haven't we talked about? You know, it doesn't have to be 30 seconds, but but on the faster side here, uh, so we can get a couple of them in, but what are some things are relating to Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers uh, that have to do with your, your your specialties here, either travel hacks again or or patent-related patent, patent related things or trademarks or anything? What are some things that you've learned over the last year and a half that um, – you know, you think can help our listeners out there. Right, well, here's a quick one. I mean, I think most people know that that trademarks, uh, a registered trademark is necessary for brand registry. Mm-hmm. But Amazon was giving certain law firms the ability using the IP accelerator yep. program to get there to basically once they apply for the trademark that they then could get brand registry for the client. Um, now, so this has just changed recently where you don't need to go through one of those IP accelerated law firms. Um, if you apply for the trademark, you can um, then um, submit for brand registry through your seller account um, based upon the application. Um, Amazon will monitor it, by the way. And if you don't end up getting the trademark, they will take the brand registry away. Um, but that's that's an interesting turn over the, over the last um, so many months is that you can um, um, you can get brand registry with a pending trademark application and you don't need to use an IP accelerator attorney. All right. So, Rich, what uh, other than Prosper, what's your conference schedule looking at uh, like the rest of the year? I'm doing um, White Label Expo in September in Vegas, and I'm doing uh, I think there's an ASD show. I, I'm speaking at some some not at the actual ASD show, but like one of the smaller events around there. I'm doing um, oh, what's it called Retail X in Chicago. Traffic and conversions. Are, are you going to be at all of those? And what what other ones haven't I mentioned? Okay, well, let's see. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to um, I'm going to Prosper. Um, I'm I've got a bunch of events happening there. I've got a, a booth there. That's it's going to be a blast. But I'm not going to sleep one bit. Um, the following week, I'm going to Digital Marketers War Room in uh, Laguna Beach, and then uh, let's see, I'm going to um, Mastermind called Board of Advisors um, in Florida in in August. Um, in September, yeah, I'm going to traffic and conversion and then I'm going from traffic and conversion to, um, to billion dollar seller. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. I'll be there at that one too. Yep. Kevin King's billion dollar seller. Summit, awesome event. I'll be speaking at that. Uh, actually going to be talking about it, patent infringement and how patent infringement works. Going to dig dive deep into that. That'll be fun. Um, and then, uh, after that, I'm going right to Orlando for funnel hacking live. Um, and then that rounds out September. There's a bunch more after that. Keeping that Premiere 1K status strong with all that travel. I love it. All right, Rich, if people uh, have further questions either about travel hacking or about uh, patents, trademark, and and all this fun stuff here, how can they find you on the interwebs? Oh, yeah. Just just check out my website, goldsteampatentlaw.com. Um, there are you know, there are great resources there for learning about the process. You might want to also check out my my podcast, which Bradley, you have to come on. I I will. You know, we haven't that's something we haven't done, but I, I I've had like lots of our common friends on there. I mean, like 
Kevin, you know, Kevin King and, um, you know, Brandon Young and um, Steve Simons and all, the, all those guys. And so you've got to come on. But the podcast is called Innovations and Breakthroughs. Um, and uh, uh, there's just awesome stories from people who have been down this road. So check that out anywhere podcast is streamed. And again, website, goldsteinpatentlaw.com. Excellent, excellent. All right, Rich. Well, we'll be, it'll be fun to see you at these uh, these upcoming uh, events. And, and all, uh, as always, thanks for the hookups and, and letting me uh, get to, uh, to business or first class sometimes on United. Appreciate it. All right, thanks, Bradley.